was from Libana's album A Circle is Cast. I'm Wings series producer Frieda Worden. This is the Women's International News Gathering Service. to KBOO Portland. Tune in every weekday morning from 5.30 to 7 a.m. for variations on the theme of folk music during KBOO's Folk Strip. Each morning brings you a different DJ and a wonderful variety of acoustic and roots music, both traditional and contemporary. You'll hear the latest from singer-songwriters, happy jigs and reels, bluesy folk, a sea shanty or two, some old favorites, local artists and artists from around the world, a touch of Cajun, a dose of indie, and a smidge of jug band. It's probably the best way on earth to wake up. So let us start your day with a smile. Again, that's every weekday morning from 5.30 to 7 a.m. for KBOO's folk music programs. Hey, we're Los Lonely Boys and you're listening to KBOO. This is Radio Eco Shock with Alex Smith. Are you ready for real disaster news? If the warming currents in the North Atlantic weaken or collapse, Ireland, England, and North Europe will become stormy and cold, even as the world warms. Northern forests and agriculture around the world would suffer. A collapse of the ocean system known as AMOC has happened before. A new study suggests that destabilization could come again soon, even in this decade. Now, we don't know if tomorrow is scheduled, so we want to be sure that we have enough money to enjoy our lifestyle today. Look, there's been a lot of sensational, overblown reporting about an AMOC collapse, starting with the science fiction movie The Day After Tomorrow. It's not like that. In a few minutes, you will hear directly from an author of that study in Nature Communications, Professor Suzanne Ditlefson. All this comes in a time of unprecedented climate chaos. Extreme super events are piling on, popping up around the world in the same week. Slovenia was just wrecked by an extreme rain, with floods expected to pour into Croatia. As I record this, the UK is bracing for a life-threatening storm system. Three months' worth of rain fell on northern China in 40 hours, flooding Beijing as never before. That was just a blip in the news, but it will take years to recover. Iranians are used to high heat, but the whole country was ordered to shut down for two days to save lives during an extreme heat event. In South Korea, 600 scouts needed medical treatment for heat exhaustion. Japan was last with record heat and dangerous storms at the same time. Almost unreported, there was a winter heat wave in South America. Temperatures over 100 degrees Fahrenheit, 37C, were reported in Chile. Some records reaching right up into the high Andes. For perspective, the start of August in the southern hemisphere is like the beginning of February in the north. It should be cold. High heat has never come this early in their season. The weather has gone insane. But don't think an ocean circulation collapse could be a good thing for the UK, Europe, or anywhere else. 
A bit later, I will examine sources explaining the impacts. Right now, let's get to the news about when the North Atlantic Meridional Overturning Circulation, AMOC, could change to a state not seen on Earth for at least 12,000 years. Radio Ecoshock. If the warming currents in the North Atlantic weaken or collapse, Ireland, England, and Northern Europe would become harder places to live. Northern forests around the world could change as the impacts ripple out globally. A collapse of the ocean system known as AMOC has happened before, and now scientists worry that destabilization could come again soon. On July 25th, the journal Nature Communications published a paper called Warning of a Forthcoming Collapse of the Atlantic Meridional Overturning Circulation. The authors are Peter and Suzanne Ditlifson. Co-author Suzanne is Professor of Mathematics at the Niels Bohr Institute at the University of Copenhagen in Denmark. From Copenhagen, Suzanne Ditlifson, welcome to Radio EcoShock. Well, thank you very much. I'm very happy to be here. Just one correction. I am from Institute of Mathematical Sciences at University of Copenhagen. It's my brother Peter that's from the Niels Bohr Institute. Okay, I'm glad we got that straightened out. Suppose the impacts of global warming break down that key system called AMOC. What might that mean in general terms for listeners in Ireland, the UK, and Northern Europe, and maybe even your own Denmark? Well, it will mean that it will become colder in our area because this is a current system that exchange heat from the tropical areas up towards the north along the west coast of Europe and makes that more warmer. And if that one breaks down, uh, we suppose that it will become colder. We suppose that there will be globally much more wild weather, it will be more stormy. Probably the precipitation patterns will change. So places where there were before a lot of precipitation might be uh, have much less and might be have dry out. I just have to say that our paper actually does not deal with what happens after the breakdown. So our paper is about what happens up to the breakdown and estimation of this possible collapse of the AMOC. And also, it's quite difficult actually to know what will happen if the AMOC collapses because we don't really have any data that can tell us exactly what will happen. So we have to rely on models and we have to rely on on simulation uh, of these models. So this AMOC has two stable states or it's believed to have two quasi-stationary states statistically stable states, an off state and an off state. This on state we have had for more than 12,000 years. So everything that we know from modern times after we had agriculture and civilizations and uh, building larger cities, etc., that is with the climate more or less as we have today with this on mode. And the off mode where we no longer have this exchange of heat that will heat up the tropical areas, and it will uh, cool down in the North Atlantic regions. And this does not happen in the Pacific Ocean. And this is because in the Pacific Ocean, you don't, there, there is not such a pump. There's uh, some currents uh, still. But Alaska and Canada is much colder than Western Europe, even though if, if we should have more or less the same climate for the altitude. However, exactly because of this AMOC, we have this more uh, warm weather that we might lose if, if uh, the AMOC collapses. A key problem you address in your new paper, AMOC currents have only been measured accurately since about 2004. We have barely 20 years of records in a system we think can change radically. How did you approach this uncertainty? Well, that uncertainty was really difficult to deal with because, of course, you can never do better predictions or better models that you have data for. So the data will kind of decide the quality of your predictions. However, 20 years of data is not enough to really make a statistical analysis of such complicated uh, long-term system. So we can see since 2004 that it seems to have weakened. 
However, there is no way with such a short time series to really judge whether this uh, weakening is just natural fluctuations or might it be due to uh, climate changes. So what we did instead was to uh, look for uh, historical data that do not have the same quality because we didn't have ways of measuring back in time. So they don't have the same quality, but they are thought of being fingerprints of the AMOC. So what we're using is uh, in an area that's called, called the subpolar gyre, which is south and uh, east of Greenland. And, and this is thought to be a fingerprint of the AMOC, the, the surface temperature. Why is that? That's because this exchange of water where warm water uh, flows northwards in the surface and then around this area it will cool down and it is salty and colder that is warmer water and the warmer water will sink down and that is actually what's maintaining the pump so it sinks down and then it travels back at a couple of kilometers uh, of depth in the ocean now if you imagine that this pump stops or it, it, it becomes uh, weaker, that means that less water, warm water is brought up towards uh, this subpolar gyre. And that means that a decrease in temperature could be a weakening of this AMOC. However, it's not that simple because on top of that, we have global warming. And global warming is even amplified in the Arctic. So it's even worse than the general global warming in that area. So what we did was uh, correcting for the global warming by subtracting. And uh, we did a slightly different uh, subtraction than what has been done before in these fingerprints. Uh, and that's because of this amplification. So normally you would subtract one time, and we actually subtracted twice the global warming. Then that means now that we have historical data from 150 years back. So we start actually already in 1870, and then we have monthly data of this, let's call it the AMOC fingerprint. Now that means that we have data from before industrial times. So we have from a time before global warming started, and we can make an analysis where we can understand what the distribution under natural uh, circumstances should be. So that is kind of our baseline. So we have a baseline of what we believe the AMOC in a healthy state should be. And then we can look at how that changes. And this is called early warning signals. So let me explain. When this uh, AMOC loses uh, its strength, then the variance increases. The variance is the variability. And that is because this system has uh, what we call a tipping point. This uh, AMOC is a highly nonlinear system. And it has these two, it's believed to have these two stable states. And it can suddenly switch from one state to another. And once it's, it switches from one state to the other to the off mode, it will not be irreversible, but it will be irreversible in our in a in a time scale of a of a lifetime, let's say. So that means that basically we cannot go back. So you push the system a little bit, and you might you might be able to 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 retract a little bit your pushing. So say you have global warming, and the global warming makes the uh, ice sheet in Greenland melt, and when that melts, it uh, brings more fresh water into the ocean into this subpolar gyre. And that means the water becomes less salty, so that is, and, and then it does not sink. So this is kind of the driver of weakening the AMOC. But that is caused by global warming. So we can go push a little bit with the, with the global warming, so, uh, and it can still kind of react and come back to a healthy state. But if we push too much, it will kind of pass this state and go to the other state. And then even if we retract a little bit, we are not able to go back. So this is a tipping point. It's not a linear uh, change. So we are scared of passing this tipping point because then that is what we call the collapse of the AMOC. We've covered quite a bit there. Now, it's interesting that you raise the 
issue of the pump that is really part of the great global conveyor belt of ocean water that circles around the world. Because in April, I talked with Dr. Matthew England from the Center for Antarctic Science in Sydney, and his paper warned a decline of ocean overturning in Antarctica is already taking place and could change state within a single lifetime. And so it's my understanding that that Antarctic overturning is also a major driver of the conveyor belt that goes all the way up to the North Atlantic Exchange. And I worry that European scientists and and certainly journalists have not really looked at the connections between the southern pump in Antarctica and the northern pump uh, that we're talking about in, in AMOC. That sounds very interesting. We haven't looked at that either. But that sounds very interesting, and, and, and that might uh, very well be. So what we did was something new that has not really been done in this way before. And I think that is why we get an earlier, let's say, prediction for when it possibly might collapse. I mean, I, I think it's very interesting that you say there in the south that it might actually collapse within a lifetime. Because that has been thought that that would not happen to the AMOC that it's the IPCC has predicted that a collapse is highly unlikely to happen in this century. And that means that we are at odds. The, the, the prediction that Peter and I did is at odds with this prediction because it's, it's much earlier that we have. But the difference in what we are doing is that we look at it from a database. So we look at the data and see what that does. So the IPCC reports, they are based on models on huge, very detailed climate models with, with, with all the mechanisms that we know are there. But also because they are so, so big, they contain a lot of variables, they contain a lot of parameters, and, and just slight imprecisions in that might actually change. That is the first thing that is problematic with the models. So I, I like the models very much, and I also trust very much the IPCC report. So that is not our point. The point is that the models are able to answer certain questions, but there are other questions they might not be able to answer. We believe, or Peter and I, we believe that these uh, models that are the basis of the IPCC uh, report are slightly too conservative. Uh, They are built upon what we know from the climate for the last 100 years. So they might not have enough nonlinearity to actually capture what is happening to the AMOC. That's, that's, I mean, we don't, we don't know, but that is something we have been discussing a lot, Peter and I, why it is that our predictions come so much earlier than the IPCC. And that is one of the ideas that maybe that is why they are simply not nonlinear enough. So we, we took a completely different approach looking at the data. And what happens when you have such a tipping point is the following. When you approach the tipping point, the system loses what is called resilience, and it has this critical slowing down. So loss of resilience means that it's not really able to come back to a healthy state if it is perturbed. So you can kind of compare it with, if you imagine a healthy person, you have 37 Celsius degrees in, in, in the body, and if you get too warm, you sweat, and if you get too cold, you burn sugar, and in that way, you maintain your temperature. But now imagine when you get sick, then suddenly you get fever, the temperature starts to fluctuate much more, there's much more variability, there's much more variance, you're not able to maintain the temperature at where it should be. It's a little bit the same that we are looking at in this tipping point that we are approaching or that we are moving towards. Then the variance increases, the system is not able to uh, recover as fast as it was earlier. And this is exactly what we are looking at. So we are looking not at the mean value or at the level. So we do see a weakening, but that weakening could could be because of of just natural fluctuations. And we don't know what the level is for a possible collapse. So instead we look at these signs that is called early warning signals Uh, We look at these signs that appear when you are approaching such a a, a tipping point, also called a bifurcation. Um, To be technical, it's a saddle mode bifurcation. So we have this increase of variance and also increase of something called uh, autocorrelation. So we looked at that, 
And then we realized the following. When you have such a tipping point, this type of tipping point, I mean, we believe that it's a seven-month bifurcation. Of course, we might also be wrong that the system is actually not governed by a seven-month bifurcation, but there are many people, not everyone, but there are many people that think that that is uh, the case. So when you have such a seven-month bifurcation, it's universal. So what do I mean by universal? I mean that any system that has such a bifurcation, whatever the system is, it could be in economics, it could be in climate, it could be in ecology, it could be in, in physiology. It, it have all, all the details are different. But when you come to the tipping or to this bifurcation point, they're all the same. It's universal. And we use this universal way of behavior of the system to recognize whether it is moving towards this tipping point and also when that tipping point in that case would happen. So maybe it, it sounds a little bit like magic. And, and, and uh, also, actually, in the beginning, when we started having these ideas, we thought it was kind of magic. But you can think about it like in a phase transition. You can have a phase transition of uh, elements. So, for example, water coming going from ice to to liquid water. So that's a phase transition. But other uh, every element uh, do the same. So you can have the mercury or or glass or even stone. They they have all the de- details uh, uh, different, and they do it all at different temperatures, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But the phase transition itself, when it melts. It's the same for all of them. I should clarify for listeners, you've been talking about bifurcation, which is not a word many people use, and it generally means to split into two. So we're sort of talking about coming to a, a fork in the road in the behavior of this large Atlantic system, which has been in one state now but could go to another. But in a new paper, and I think you've been talking about this, uh, it's not yet published, uh, Johannes Lohmann and colleagues propose that there are intermediate steps and, and early warning steps, as you say, But even those intermediate steps, he says, are also abrupt. So we could go down in steps, or could it collapse to a new low state precipitously? Do we know? From our study, we cannot see it. So the only thing we can see is that there is a tipping point, and whether that we we can say nothing about what is on the other side of the tipping point. Uh, I'm convinced that it will be something abrupt, but whether it will be in steps, so this how abrupt it will be, uh, how, how big a step, uh, we cannot say anything about that. So our method does not work for that. So there's no way we can use this method to, to, to say this. And I know there are lots of discussion of what will actually happen. There are some paleoclimatic uh, records from the Ice Ages. Uh, it seems like there were two states of the A-mark, the on and the off mode. But of course, uh, that was during the Ice Ages, and we have a completely different climate now. So uh, I would say we don't know whether there are uh, intermediate steps also. So we cannot say that. We, c- we cannot. Suzanne Ditlison, you're not a climate scientist per se, but a respected professor of mathematics. How did you get drawn into this contentious question of what will happen to the North Atlantic currents? Well, it's really true. I am not a climate scientist, and I hope I didn't say anything wrong. My brother is a climate scientist, so that's Peter, and that's the co-author of the paper. And this came about because we often have many scientific uh, discussions, and you know, even even when we just have having fun, we're having scientific uh, discussions. And this came about because Peter is leading this uh, big uh, center of tipping points, TIP as it's called, the uh, tipping points in the Earth system. And he has been working uh, with these early warning signals and trying to uh, not only detect that there are early warning signals, which other people also have done, but he was bothered by the fact that there was not really statistical significance or evaluation of the statistical significance to the results. And secondly, he also got this very simple idea in in a very ad hoc way to extrapolate from these early warning signals towards when the tipping point can be expected. He therefore contacted me, and we started to discuss it with me because I'm a professor of statistics and I understand all the statistics and I can say something about uh, whether we can trust results or not. 
And and uh, then we just started working together and discussing and, and, and finding out how to do this. Because it's, so, so in our paper, we have, we present kind of two methods how to do it. So there's this simple, intuitively easy to understand method where we use uh, the variance in itself. So we use the moment and simply uh, predict when it becomes uh, infinity. That can also be good. The problem is that that estimator, so now it also becomes a little technical, the estimator uh, when we do that is actually not very well behaved. It actually has infinite variance. So, so an estimator is a, is, is a random variable, and this random variable has a variance. And you would normally want that variance to be as small as possible because that means that the estimate that you get is more precise. But that way he did it actually led to an estimator with infinite variance. So I really chewed on the problem, and we found uh, a, a, another way of doing it that was more robust, more statistically sound. It's a little more complicated, a little uh, less intuitive what's going on. But the beauty of it was actually that when, when we estimated first with this, let me call it the moment method, we got this very early uh, prediction of the most likely time in, in 2057. Of course, we should, not, we should not take that year as very serious. It's, it's just around there. There's lots of uncertainty here. So around 2057. And actually, we started this whole work in order to confirm what the IPCC reports present. We wanted to confirm that. And then it was like, that's too early. That's far too early. How can that be? And, and this was where we really thought there must be something wrong with, the, with, with this uh, moment method, and, and we worked hard on it. Then when we actually developed this uh, using tools from maximum likelihood estimation and, and stochastic uh, processes, it turned out that we got the same estimate. Of course, with a lot of uncertainty, and that made us more well. It, it made us more scared because it's it's an earlier estimate, but it also made us believe more in our estimate. This is why we actually uh, now believe that we're not way off. And and so you 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 found that this could happen. This big change in the Atlantic currents could happen around mid-century. That's uh, maybe the most probable. But there's a, a wide range of uncertainties, you say, because, well, for one thing, the world is warming and, and the Arctic is warming even faster than that, all sorts of factors. But your range of possibilities went from as early as 2025, which is just two years from now, all the way up to 2095. So somewhere in that period. But I think the media kind of leapt on it and went, well, hey, this could happen this decade even. Do you think that is possible, or is that just a, a rare possibility? That's a rare possibility. Of course it's possible, but it's a rare possibility. So this, this is the thing about, it, we were giving a 95% confidence interval, what we call it. So it's saying that is where, given the data and given the model, so there are more uncertainties, and these uncertainties are very difficult to, to, to quantify. Given that, we give this 95% confidence interval, but there's not the same probability for any point in that confidence interval. So the big chunk of probability lies around mid-century, so around, let's say, 2060, from 2040 to 2080 or something like that. That's where we believe it would happen, given that we continue the way we do. So what we call this business-as-usual scenario. And the business-as-usual scenario is that we continue increasing greenhouse gas emissions at the same speed as we do now. So, of course, if serious measures are being taken, and at least that seems like what uh, many governments around the world and, and people are, are really trying to do, and we reduce it, then we do not believe in our own estimate. So it is kind of business as usual, which corresponds to the worst scenario of the IPCC prediction. So that is kind of comforting if we believe that we can actually change how we act so that global warming can be uh, diminished, then these estimates will be different. In the real world, as we wrap up here, in our daily lives, what should listeners take away from your new work and the whole fear of a big change in the North Atlantic? I think the first take-home message is that 
this could happen much earlier than we thought. And I think this is one part of, of the climate, and this is a very important part. But, of course, there are a lot of other problems with global warming, and we have seen that this summer with all the extreme heats and fires and, and stuff like that. So th- that has nothing to do with the AMR, but that has to do with global warming. So I think the first take-home message is yet another argument for this is serious now. We have to stop greenhouse gas emissions now. So it's, it's kind of, I wouldn't say wake-up call, because these wake-up calls have been again and again. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's all over. But I, I really hope that this can be yet another serious message that we have to change. Um, I don't want to use fear in people. I don't think that is a good thing. I, I mean, we, we, we also need to act, and, and if we are too scared, we cannot act. And, of course, we have to do it on all levels. So uh, I, I really believe that we cannot really have serious reductions unless governments, especially in, in the big countries, uh, that they actually do something. But I think we should do some something at all levels, also on a personal level, and, and for various reasons. First of all, because from a psychological point of view, I think it can help us to do something, to, to feel that we do something for this. Secondly, I think that if we want to put pressure on the politicians, I mean, the politicians are just, I mean, they, they, they are just a, a product of, of who we elect. I mean, they, they cannot do anything if they don't have votes. So if, if they feel a, a pressure from, from, from people, uh, that will also bring a, a political change, uh, I think. And, and, from that point of view, I think it's very important that we also do something on a personal level. So I, I, I do think that, that we have come to a time in this climate crisis that we have that we really have to act on all levels, on the personal level, on the political level, on the industrial level. I must say, I have actually uh, recently have, have become quite optimistic about certain things. We have had in, in, in Denmark, in, 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 we've had some meetings between scientists and in industry. And what struck me was that there are lots of, of big players in the industry that are really doing huge measures to change, even doing more things that were being done in a governmental level. Of course, you need to be a big player because small companies might not be able to have the economic freedom to do so. But but it, it, it made me feel more optimistic to see that there are really companies are moving faster than, than governments now. And maybe that will also make a change. I'm not so optimistic in other countries. As I see, for example, uh, the government of the UK is now opening up all sorts of the North Sea for more oil and gas drilling, saying that they want to max out production there. So it's a, it's a seesaw battle, Suzanne. We're making some progress in some places and, and then losing in others. From the University of Copenhagen, we've been speaking with Professor Suzanne Ditlevsen, co-author of the new paper, Warning of a Forthcoming Collapse of the Atlantic Meridional Overturning Circulation. You can find links to follow up in my show blog, published Wednesdays at ecoshock.org. Suzanne, thank you for helping us understand this hidden work of the ocean. I've been happy to be here. I'm Alex Smith for Radio Ecoshock. You're listening to Ecoshock Radio for the world. I'm Alex Smith. Get it all at our website, ecoshock.org. This is Radio Ecoshock with your host, Alex Smith. What will happen when AMOC collapses? As you heard from Suzanne Ditlevson, it is difficult to predict what will happen if it changes to a very weak state and moves southward. We cannot rely on data from previous AMOC shifts during the Ice Ages because humans are now warming the world at a never-before-seen pace. All of this combines into something very different and very new. That is not good news for an ecological system that depends on certain conditions on land and in the sea. Let's take the UK, for example. If you just look at IPCC projections and other models, it looks like the UK would be a good place to survive global warming, at least in the first century. By 2080, southern Britain would be hotter and likely experience periodic droughts. Scotland would be warmer, but that might feel good the Scottish highlands would get wetter. 
As James Lovelock pointed out, the sea around the UK would help protect it from temperature extremes that develop over land masses like Russia and China and North America. Lovely. But if the AMOC shuts down, things don't go so well. Many sources suggest the average UK temperatures would drop by 3.4 degrees C, about 6 degrees Fahrenheit. Other experts suggest it could be even colder, up to 5 degrees C, average temperature drop. A 2021 report by the OECD says Europe and North America would experience a drop of 3 degrees to 8 degrees C and 1 degree to 3 degrees C, respectively. So that's 3 to 8 in Europe and 1 to 3 drop in North America. In the Southern Hemisphere, there is little predicted temperature change, but strong disruptions to precipitation patterns in the tropics. Winter would be much colder in Northern Europe. We can barely imagine that, while the rest of the world suffers through long-lasting heat waves. But wait a minute. It could be the rain, not the cold. The real blow for the UK after AMOC collapse may not be temperature, but changing rain. Dr. Paul Ritchie and his co-authors studied this for their 2020 paper called Shifts in National Land Use and Food Production in Great Britain After a Climate Tipping Point. They say, quote, We show that economic and land use impacts of such a tipping point are likely to include widespread cessation of arable farming with losses of agricultural output that are an order of magnitude larger than the impacts of climate change without an AMOC collapse, end quote. In fact, Ritchie and his colleagues found that the amount of arable land in the UK would drop from the current 42% to around 7%. That is disaster, and an end to any dreams of the UK having the security of its own food. The authors say that 7% number could be boosted higher, we don't know how much higher, by irrigation, but there are limits to the amount of irrigation water available. So the AMOC collapse is as much about changes in precipitation as temperature. The media leaves this out. One major institution took a stab at predicting impacts of an AMOC collapse. The Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development, the OECD, is composed of 37 democracies. In 2021, the OECD published a report called Climate Tipping Points. That study found rainfall over Siberia would fall so low that boreal forests would convert to savanna grasslands or bush. Meanwhile, the extra water vapor in the atmosphere due to heating would fall heavily on the Canadian boreal forest. Scientists worry the AMOC collapse impacts on precipitation patterns could change water distribution in the atmosphere over the whole planet. For example, after AMOC collapse, the speed of Amazon conversion from forests that are full of carbon to grass and shrubs might go faster. The memory in human civilization, it's only so long it's never experienced this new state of the ocean. We just don't know what could happen. The OECD report says, quote, In addition, this work further identifies the West Antarctic and Greenland ice sheets as initiators of tipping cascades and the AMOC as the mediator transmitting cascades, end quote. But the AMOC collapse can be a disaster for monsoons and food in the tropics as well. Let's look at this. The OED says, quote, Monsoon systems are also likely to be affected by a potential collapse or slowdown of the AMOC. Analysis by the OECD in 2021 finds that West Africa will experience the largest decrease in rainfall on the planet under global warming scenarios. The shutdown of the AMOC will exacerbate this effect, disrupting the African monsoon and leading to a further reduction in precipitation that can, in turn, cause widespread drought over much of the region. A collapse of the AMOC would also lead to the weakening of the Indian summer monsoon, which could lead to more frequent droughts with potentially detrimental impacts on Indian farmers' rice harvests, end quote from OECD. Here is a clip from a presentation by the German oceanographer Stefan Ramsdorf, who I really admire. It was recorded at the University of Exeter in November 2022. 
And it turns out that uh, that cooling area south of Greenland is, of course, part of a slowdown of the Atlantic overturning, but also the excessive warming along the American coast, inshore of the Gulf Stream, is a result of a slowdown of the overturning circulation. There is some fluid dynamics behind this, which is uh, going too far to explain here, but it's well established theoretically. Now, my PhD student, Levke Cesar, uh, back then has uh, spent a couple of years compiling observations of sea surface temperature, and this uh, graph here shows the trend since the year 1900. And you can see this peculiar fingerprint pattern with the cold blob south of Greenland and that warming along the American coast. It's just fuzzy because we don't have ocean observations everywhere at all times, obviously, so it can't be shown in as high a resolution, but I think you will agree that the pattern agrees, and we know it's a fingerprint of an AMOC slowdown, and when we calibrated this with the help of the model, we find that this corresponds to about 15% weakening uh, of that overturning circulation, mostly since about 1950. We can also look further back in time using proxy data from sediment cores and ice cores, etc. And uh, recently we compiled last year actually a paper showing the reconstructions by uh, paleoclimate uh, studies in the published literature for the AMOC. And this shows the last 1,500 years or so if you look at the left column there. And uh, you can see that mostly the AMOC has been stable until the 20th century. It shows an unprecedented decline. And uh, so uh, that's why we concluded that the Atlantic overturning is at its weakest in the last millennium. And a couple of weeks ago, I was at the International Conference on Paleoceanography, where I saw some as yet unpublished proxy data saying this going back even much further in time, and it's probably at its weakest since the entire Holocene by now. Now, the AMOC is weakening, what, uh, but we also know already since 1961, since the work of Henry Stommel, that it has a tipping point. It's very well established by now. As a postdoc in the 90s, I showed this behavior in a 3D ocean GCM, and the circulation is sensitive to adding fresh water because it inhibits the sinking by making the water less dense. And uh, so if you add fresh water, like melting Greenland ice or increased rainfall, you move on the, towards the right in this diagram from the present climate point, and eventually you hit a cliff there where there is no more stable state, and it falls into, uh, to the bottom of the diagram into a completely different new collapsed state. So just to sum up my key points here, the conclusions are that uh, the AMOC is weakening. Personally, I think there's very strong evidence for that now that it's unprecedented in at least a millennium. We know that the AMOC has a tipping point, very well-established physics, the positive feedback, salt advection is understood. But the big uncertainty is how far away is this tipping point? And uh, recent studies have unfortunately shown maybe too close for comfort. Recently, Ramsdorf says he had to revise his thinking on how soon an AMOC state change could arrive. Along with the IPCC, he had been thinking the collapse is very unlikely to arrive during this century. But due to at least three new studies, Ramsdorf changed his mind. He now agrees that, on our current high emissions path, this vital ocean circulation system could fall apart during the next decades. He revised his position post at realclimate.org. Find that link in my blog at ecoshock.org. Here he addresses the new paper on the BBC, July 26, 2023. This is Rebecca Kesby with NewsHour Live from the BBC. Now, the Atlantic Ocean system that brings warm water from the tropics into the North Atlantic could collapse much sooner than previously predicted. That's according to a study by Danish scientists just published in the journal Nature Communications. Their new analysis estimates a timescale for the collapse between 2025 and 2095 with a central estimate of 2050 if global carbon emissions are not reduced. We're talking about something called the Atlantic Meridional Overturning Circulation 
or AMOC for short, and it's known to have a huge effect on the climate in the Northern Hemisphere. Now, full disclosure on this, there is some controversy around this particular report because although most climate scientists do warn of a potential tipping point or collapse of the AMOC system, there is a disagreement over when it could happen. It's important this because when it happens, the impact could obviously potentially be very damaging for humans. So let's try and get some clarity. A tipping point generally is a point where a system will develop into a very different state without being pushed further. It's the point from where it happens by itself, like if you push your coffee cup towards the edge of the disc, and then there's a tipping point from then onwards, you don't have to push anymore. Something really changes, it crashes down. With the AMOC, it would wind down in a matter of decades, probably, once the tipping point is passed, and that would have major impacts on the surface temperature, first of all, regions. I mean, it's already slowing down and that already has a big impact because that region to the west of Great Britain, the British Isles, is the only part of the world that has actually cooled in the last hundred years while the rest of the planet has warmed. That's what we call the cold blob. If the AMOC really winds down altogether, that would expand and actually cover Britain, Iceland, Scandinavia, which then could cool down in the midst of a much warmer world. But there would be many other consequences for extra sea level rise, marine ecosystems being really threatened, CO2 uptake by the ocean declining and so on. Okay, I mean, the sort of frightening element of this is that when you talk about cooling, potentially that cooling could be very much lower, couldn't it? I mean, some some people talk about something similar to what happened in the Ice Age. Is that true? It is actually quite exaggerated because we are in a world with elevated carbon dioxide levels in the atmosphere now. So those very cold numbers, they come from experiments where in pre-industrial climate, you close down the AMOC. If you do it in an already much warmer world, it won't get that cold. But the key thing is that you know, you get cold patch surrounding by exceptionally warm regions of the Earth that changes really the whole dynamics of the weather systems. There will probably be a lot more storms uh, hitting the UK and so on. Right. The UN's climate change body, the IPCC, says it's very unlikely to happen this century. What's your view on that? Is that still the thinking? That was my view until a few years ago, but you have to know that in the IPCC jargon, very unlikely means less than 10%. And we are talking about a planetary scale disaster that we really want to avoid at 99.9% certainty. So even saying there is up to 10% risk for this is, in my view, really scary. But now we can say the IPCC conclusion resulted on climate models, doing, you know, the standard models, making projections for the future. And there, in most cases, the AMOC does not collapse in this century. But there is mounting evidence, and it has been actually for quite a while, that these models have an AMOC that is far too stable compared to what we can conclude from observational data. And uh, these new studies, there are at least three studies now, the new one is the third, have used observational data to look for precursors of a potential tipping point. And these studies come to the conclusion that it is actually probably much closer, probably in this century, but still with a big uncertainty attached to that. The key point of all of this, though, is that the tipping point is, as you've explained, the point where you can't go backwards. It's just going to happen no matter what you do. That's right. And we should really minimise that risk. I think it's a very serious risk. Professor Stephen Ramsdorf speaking to us earlier. It's time to sort out the facts from the myths about AMOC. First of all, as Sabine Hosfelder says in her YouTube video, the Gulf Stream is not going to stop. When the overturning circulation stops, then the Gulf Stream will no longer get this extra push to the north. This would mean that Europe will cool down. 
Simulations with climate models have shown that the average temperatures in Europe could go down by as much as five degrees. So that's the thing that everyone is worried about, that the AMOC will stop. However, this would not mean that the Gulf Stream would stop. The Gulf Stream is caused by the rotation of the Earth. The only way to stop the Gulf Stream is quite literally to stop the Earth from turning. With that out of the way, we must also look at the fact that AMOC is not the Gulf Stream, and vice versa. This comes from a massive confusion about names and how the system works. Because so many people have heard of the Gulf Stream, the media and a few scientists talk as though the Gulf Stream and AMOC are the same thing. They are not. But it is not easy to say what they are. I mean, people in Scotland are still calling the Atlantic Current the Gulf Stream, even though the Gulf Stream technically ends when it mixes into the northern waters around Labrador and up the sides of Greenland. As I understand it, the Gulf Stream does operate to move heat and water from the tropics to the pole. No doubt it is part of the global ocean system called the Great Conveyor Belt. Now look, when you sail east from the United States, I'm a sailing fan, say from Virginia heading toward the Caribbean, not far out to sea it is difficult to sail south. Ships encounter a steady flow of water running up to five nautical miles per hour going north. In a small boat that only goes five knots, you would stay in the same place with the engine running full power. Eventually, further east, you are out of the Gulf Stream and you can more easily sail south. The AMOC is not one current like that, not something you can identify. It is a distributed system with a lot of different subcurrents curling around in the ocean, but it has a known general direction to the overall flow. But AMOC is more than just a flow of water. Being an overturning circulation, ocean water becomes heavier with salt in the north and sinks to the bottom. From there, it flows in a countercurrent around 2,000 meters down, say 6,000 feet, below the surface. That cold bottom water goes all the way down to Antarctica. AMOC is part of the pump that keeps seawater circulating between the poles. So that is AMOC myth number one. It is not the same as the Gulf Stream. While AMOC can shift to a very weak state, called an off state by experts, the Gulf Stream is driven by other factors, including the rotation of the Earth, and will not stop even during rapid climate change. At least, that's what we think so far. Stefan Ramsdorf suggests after the AMOC tipping point is passed, and we don't know exactly when that will be, it might take two or three decades to fully extend the impacts to cool the UK and North Europe as much as it can, not to mention the harsh impacts on coastal Norway. But then, perhaps a century or two later, continued warming of the planet, if that happens, would overcome the AMOC collapse cooling. Dear old London would begin to warm again long after the country has been completely rearranged by the ocean current collapse. Manchester will not be covered by a glacier a mile thick. Myth number three, is AMOC or the Gulf Stream keeping the UK and Europe warm? Well, the jury's still out on this one. It's still being debated by some scientists. Is it really the AMOC or the Gulf Stream that makes the UK and Europe warmer than their latitude would suggest? Almost everyone, including many top scientists, say yes, yes it is. But maybe not. This dispute is important because... If true, Northern Europe may not be so heavily impacted by an AMOC shutdown. So Richard Seeger is a climate scientist at Lamont Doherty Earth Observatory. He was educated in the UK. He is a professor of ocean and climate physics at Columbia University. Seeger is definitely not a fringe climate denier. He's a real scientist. But Professor Seeger says the UK and North Europe are warmer than expected for their latitude, not because of the Gulf Stream or any ocean current. Here is his explanation, and I quote, Using observations and climate models, we found that at the latitudes of Europe, the atmospheric heat transport exceeds that of the ocean by several fold. In winter, it may even be by an order of magnitude greater. Thus it is the atmosphere, not the ocean, that does the lion's share of the work 
ameliorating winter climates in the extratropics. We also found that the seasonal absorption and release of heat by the ocean has a much larger impact on regional climates than does the movement of heat by ocean currents. Seasonal storage and release accounts for half the winter temperature difference across the North Atlantic Ocean, but the 500-pound gorilla in how regional climates are determined around the Atlantic turned out to be the Rocky Mountains. Because of the need to conserve angular momentum, as air flows from the west across the mountains, it is forced to first turn south and then to turn north further downstream. As such, the mountains force cold air south into eastern North America and warm air north into western Europe. This waviness in the flow is responsible for the other half of the temperature difference across the North Atlantic Ocean. End quote. Saying ocean transport contributes to small warming across the basin, Richard Seeger suggests a slowdown of the Gulf Stream would, quote, introduce a modest cooling tendency. If true, that would be great news for our UK listeners, but it does not address really an increase in storminess and storm strength or the large drop in precipitation for European agriculture and other global impacts. It shows the level of uncertainty about what will really happen when the AMOC goes into its off state. Personally, I think the OECD scientists were well aware of atmospheric science and probably took these factors raised by Seeger into account and still found dangerous cooling for Europe in the waters ahead. Final myth here, the AMOC operates alone. No, it doesn't. Scientists have tended to treat AMOC as a separate system of the ocean. I raised this with Suzanne Ditlefsen in our interview. We know AMOC is one end of a huge system of ocean water running from pole to pole. The Southern Ocean overturning circulation is the other end. As we learned in my April 2023 interview with Australia's Dr. Matthew England, the Southern pump is failing too. He told us the surface to deep water exchange there has already tipped. As Western media gorged itself on Donald Trump news, Climate activist Bill McKibben said this southern ocean change is the biggest story on the planet, and I agree. You can download my interview with lead author Dr. England free at ecoshock.org. We understand why some of the best European scientists, including in the UK, are working hard on what could happen to AMOC. They examine every influence, all the satellite data, every report from the past, whatever we can glean. But as Ditlefsen said, they do not appear to add in the weakened pump at the other end of the system, into Antarctica and the Southern Ocean. We need a whole-world approach. Weakened overturning in the Southern Ocean could be an added significant reason why the AMOC has already dropped by at least 15%. How big a factor is it? Will that drive a state shift in AMOC even sooner? We all need to know. I hope to see published research on this question. Wrapping up, remember the AMOC collapsing by 2025 is a rare possibility, according to the authors of the study. It's at the bottom end of a 75-year bracket of possible timing. The date of this doom-like, huge-scale ocean shift is also determined by the rate humans continue to dump carbon dioxide and greenhouse gases into the atmosphere. A miracle of climate action might stall the AMOC shift by a century or two. Who knows? Maybe that would be enough time to find a solution. Personally, I don't see any signs of that miracle. We are going in reverse, funding new oil and gas and coal, burning more than ever while slashing down those forests. You all know the bad news. My guess, for what it is worth... Anyone under the age of 40 has a good chance of being alive to witness the biggest shift since civilization began, and that is the Atlantic meridional overturning circulation will collapse into its alternate weak state. Then we enter the find-out phase. From what we can see dimly, we are producing a time of trials, dragging the rest of living things along with us. Next week on Radio EcoShock, something lighter, well, sort of. 
we revisit the eternal question, is it too late? This 2009 radio special of mine is called Enjoy Yourself. It's later than you think. It has clips from James Lovelock, Derek Jensen, James Hansen, and many more, and it includes a few tunes. Listen in. I'm Alex Smith. Thank you for hanging out in this changing current and caring about our world. Enjoy yourself. It's later than you think. Enjoy yourself while you're still in the pink. The years go by as quickly as a wink. Enjoy yourself, enjoy yourself, it's later than you think. You are tuned to KBOO, Portland. KBOO Community Radio is hiring a full-time development director. This position leads all fundraising campaigns in alignment with KBOO's mission, goals, and policies. The development director works closely with management and staff to identify funding priorities and create major donor campaigns, capital campaigns, and grant writing. More info can be found at kboo.fm slash hiring. We will begin reviewing applications on August 7th, and the position will remain open until filled. KBOO is an equal opportunity employer. Hi, this is Dwight Yoakam, and you're listening to KBOO. You're listening to Jonesy on KBOO Portland. Before we get started... Just a reminder that KBOO is true listener-sponsored community radio. 